0: Chapter 7 of Haworth's. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughn. Haworth's by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 7 The Who dothout it? It's the queerest thing i the world, said Mrs. Briarly to her neighbours in speaking of her visitor. It's the queerest thing i the world as he should be a workin' man." I should have thought he'd a wanted to get behind the counter at a shop or some at genteel. He'd be a well-looking young chap, in shiny cloth coat and with a blue tie on. Seems like he does not think he now a hissin. He'll come to our house and sit down and listen to our Janie talkin', and tell her things out of books, as simple as if he thought it were naught but only chap could do. There's where he's a bit soft. He knows naught a settin hissin up. For Mrs. Brierly, Murdoch heard numberless stories of Haworth, presenting him in a somewhat startling light. Eh, he's a rare in his haworth, said the good woman. He does not care for mon nor devil. The carry on as he has up at the big house would make a decent body's hair stand on int Afore he built the house he used to go to Lunnon and Manchester for his sprees, but he has em here now, and there is drinkin' and riotin' and finery, and folk is out to be shamped o their sons. A wonder he is now feared to stay on the place alone, after they're gone but for one reason or another the house was quiet enough for the first six months of Murdoch's acquaintance with its master. Haworth gave himself up to the management of the works. He perfected plans he had laid at a time when the power had not been in his own hands. He kept his eye on his own interests sharply. The most confirmed shirkers on the place found themselves obliged to fall to work, however reluctantly. His bold strokes of business enterprise began to give him a wide reputation. In the lapse of his first half-year, Haworth's gained for itself a name. At the end of this time, Murdoch arrived at the works one morning to find a general tone of conviviality reigning. A devil-may-care air showed itself among all the graceless. There was a hint of demoralization in the very atmosphere. "'Where's Haworth?' he asked Floxham, who did not seem to share the general hilarity. "'I've not seen him.' "'No,' was the engineer's answer. nor will not see him a bit yet.' A lot of foos comin' from London last night. He's on one of his sprees, and a nice doment they'll ha on it afore they're done. The next morning Haworth dashed down to the works early in his gig, and spent a short time in his room. Before he left, he went to the engine room and spoke to Murdoch. Is there aught you want from the house, aught in the way of books, I mean? He said with his touch of rough bravado in his manner. No, Murdoch answered. All right, he returned. Then keep away, lad, for a day or two during the day or two broxton existed in a state of ferment gradually an air of disreputable festivity began to manifest itself among all those whose virtue was assailable there were open sprees among these and their wives with the inevitable baby in their arms stood upon their doorsteps bewailing their fate and retailing gossip with no slight zest silks and satins bless you they said and paint and feathers the present things i wonder they are not champ to show their faces a noise mr Haworth is to ha men under him having occasion to go out late one evening Murdoch encountered janey clad in the big bonnet and shawl and hurrying along the street where am i going? she echoed sharply in reply to his query why i'm going round to the publics to look for fayther there's where i'm going. i ha not seed him sin day late the mornin', and he's getting the rent and the burying club money wi him i'll go with you said Murdoch. he went with her making the round of half the public-houses in the village finally ending in a jovial establishment, bearing upon its whitened window the ambiguous title, Who'd A It? There was a sound of argument accompanied by a fiddle, and an odor of beer supplemented by tobacco. Janie pushed open the door and made her way in, followed by her companion. An uncleanly and loud-voiced fellow stood unsteadily at a table, flourishing a clay pipe, and making a speech. The Wurkenmann, he said, there's too much talk of the Wurkenmann, is not bad enough to be a workin' man without having the gentry more mindin' you on it fro year end to year end? Less ha less jaw work and more paw work fro the gentry Less have fewer libraries a and thinum, and more wage and holidays and and beer Less progress that's what I say, and I'm a workin' man. Ear eer cried the chorus. Ear In the midst of the pause following these acclamations, a voice broke in suddenly with startling loudness. E-ear, e-ear it said. It was Mr. Brierly who had unexpectedly awakened from a beery nap and, though much surprised to find out where he was, felt called upon to express his approbation. Janie hitched her shawl into a manageable length and approached him. Tha' here, she said, I knowed thou would be. Tha' word the life out on us afore thart done. Come on home wi me before thou'st spent every ha'penny we've gitten." Mr. Briley roused himself so far as to smile at her blandly. "'Shiny,' he said, "'Shiny. Don't interrupt the mitten.' "'Shiny. I'll be home directly. Must not interrupt the working man. He's the backbone, and sinew o' the country. Let's ha' sup more beer.' Murdoch bent over and touched his shoulder. "'You had better come home,' he said. The man looked round at him blankly, for the next moment an exaggerated expression of enlightenment showed itself on his face.' the American, he said. "'That's Murdoch.' And then, with sudden, bibulous delight, "'Guess a speech about Merica.' In a moment there was a clamour all over the room. The last words had been spoken loudly enough to be heard, and the idea presented itself to the members of the assembly as a happy one. Ay, they cried, "'let's ha a speech for the American. Let's hear some it from America. There's where the labouring man has his dues.' Murdoch turned about and faced the company. "'You all know enough of me.' to know whether i'm a speech-making man or not he said i have nothing to say about america and if i had i should not say it here you are not doing yourselves any good the least fellow among you has brains enough to tell him that there was at once a new clamor this time one of dissatisfaction the speech-maker with the long clay who was plainly the leader expressed himself with heat and scorn he's a nice chap he is he cried he'll have naught to do with us He's a sort o of workin man to haw about to play the pianny and do paint any velvet well merica be danged he's more of the gentry coin to-day than haworth. Haworth does take a decent spree now and then, but this herein, ax him to take a glass o beer and see what he'll say. Disgust was written upon every countenance, but no one proffered the hospitality mentioned. Mr. Brierly had fallen asleep again, murmuring suggestively, Ay, Let's hear summat for America. Let's go to America. Put on thy bonnet, lass. Put it on. With her companion's assistance, Janie got him out of the place and led him home. Half the rent's gone, she said, when she turned out his pockets as he sat by the fire. And where's the buryin' money to come fro? Mr. Briley shook his head mournfully. The buryin' money, he said. Aye, indeed. A noice thing it is for a chap to ha to cut off his beer to pay for his coffin by the week wasting good brass on somebody he may never need as long as he lives don't like the thout on it either it's body now to have to get into the thing at the end without hand it lugged up to the door every saturday and payin' for the ornamentin' on it by inches end of chapter seven